You're listening to a special episode of In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. The best of Marion Johansson. Welcome, friends. I'm delighted that you've joined us today and hope this podcast will be helpful to you. Rather than define what this podcast is, which is really yet to unfold, let's start with what it's not. This is not a meeting, and it's not church, but a dialogue to aid our search, the search for peace and healing. In some of our episodes, my guests and I will discuss ideas and strategies that we've picked up from various places, including 12-step programs from churches and many other sources. Take what you like and leave the rest. Welcome, friends. So glad you joined us today. Um, I'm very excited and honored to have as my guest today Marianne Johansson, and um, Marianne is someone whom I absolutely adore, and I look up to her very much, and I'm very inspired by her. I've met Marianne just a few years back, but immediately upon meeting her, we just struck up a... We both knew that this was going to be a really um, wonderful relationship that we wanted to cultivate. So welcome, Marion, and I'm, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Okay, so Marion is part of my support network, and like all of us, you know, she's been through some really tough things, had some challenges, still has some challenges um, in her life today. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? Not at all. I'll be 84 in three weeks. 84 in three weeks. So, Marion, I'd like for you to tell me about maybe one or two of the things, of the struggles that you've had in your life, things that, you know, really could have taken you down. I was the child of an alcoholic mother who drank all day. I was embarrassed frequently as a child by her drinking. We were out in a public, like, she would take us to a swimming pool in the summer, and she would bring a bottle of wine to the pool, and she would be so drunk after a short time that she would be stumbling. And um, I I remember also as a child being hypervigilant because I never knew exactly what was happening. I could feel undertones of tension yeah but i couldn't really identify what was what was the big problem uh, my parents divorced when i became an, when i was 23 years old so they stayed together for the children's sake mm-hmm. and uh and then they divorced and that was uh, a trying time for all of us so um what are some of the things that maybe carried on into your adulthood and some of the challenges you've had as an adult? You know, things that leave the holes in our souls. 
my first marriage lasted 26 years. I was married to a physician. We married when he was in medical school and um, had four children in five years after wow. we were married. Uh, he was working 36 hours on and 12 hours off in his residency. And then so frequently during those 12 hours off, he would work at a hospital in the emergency room for extra money. Back in those days, he made $20 a month as an intern. Mm. And then as a resident, it went up to $50 a month. Wow. It was so different than it is today. He suffered from bipolar disorder, which was not diagnosed until we had been married for 18 years. Mm. So his mood swings were very frightening. He would go out and buy three cars in one day when he was when he was up. When he was manic. Okay. When he was manic. And then when he would immediately go into a depression with buyer's remorse and take to his bed and stay there for several days. He was what's called now is called a rapid cycler, okay. meaning that he would go up and down quickly. There are, there are many people that build up right. and then build down slowly. But, um, but he could call from the office and say, let's go out for dinner and 15 minutes be home and go straight to the bed and close the door and not want to get up until the next day. That's how quickly he could go from being in an outgoing good mood to in the pits. He frequently uh, threatened suicide. Oh, yikes. And it was a frightening time. I tried to protect my children from that, and I, I damaged them because I was overly permissive, trying to offset his, because he was extremely strict with the children. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were to be seen and not heard. Oh. They never wanted to invite friends to the house because of... He would. He just was not a social creature. Did he do rages? Did he have the kind of? He did rages. Okay. And I, I remember some of them so vividly. Our younger, we have four children, two boys and two girls, and our younger son became upset with him one time, and when he was only about three years old, and he threw something on the floor, and his father picked him up, and beat him so hard on his backside that he bled. Mm. And I was, at that point, maybe 23 years old, with a five-year-old husband who was a physician whom I was supposed to be a lot less than. And so I didn't know what to do. I thought that, that that's what I, I thought I had to let that happen. Oh, man. And during that time, I started, not the first 10 years we were married because there was never an opportunity, but at about 10 years into our marriage, we finally decided to build a house or buy a house. And at that time, I started thinking it would be nice to have a cocktail when he in the evening when he would get home. And... 
this progressed rather rapidly from my having a drink before he came home, again with the children while I was fixing their dinner because he was late, and again drinking after that while he was having his dinner because I had supposedly eaten with the children. So I became an alcoholic quickly, and I had the gene. I think I, I, I have no doubt that I was born with the gene, and it would have developed earlier if I had had the leisure or the uh, money or <laughs> whatever to do it. In reality, I probably was a practicing alcoholic from the age of 30 to 42. But I remember uh, drinking at my grandparents' house beer and just absolutely loving it. I didn't get the feeling with that, but I just loved the way it tasted. And Interesting. See, I always hated beer. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I, no. Okay, so go ahead. Anyway, I would start drink. I never drank before 5 o'clock. Therefore, I continued to believe I didn't have a problem because my mother had been a daytime drinker. Okay. And I thought if you didn't drink before 5, that you didn't have a problem. And I drank between my tolerance continued to increase and by the time I was 42 between the hours of 5 and 8 o'clock in the evening I would drink about a pint of scotch okay I realized that I was still taking more and more to get me to where I wanted to be but I was not a blackout drinker Okay. And I would, my personality definitely would start to change. I would, I would say things I would never have said. I mean, I didn't look or sound drunk. Right. Okay. I had a, a high tolerance, uh-huh. and I never slurred speech or had an unsteady gait. So my friends, my family, did not believe I had a problem. Okay. But I knew because of what. I'd gone through with my mother. Yeah. And I knew that I had to get some help. I had never been to AA. I had made a, a very rigid decision that I had a high position in the church. And we went, we had board meetings once a month. And I had made a firm decision I would never drink on that Tuesday of each month. And the day came when I abandoned that pledge, and I drank. And I went to that meeting, and I insulted the preacher. Mm. Um, I looked around the room. There were 38 people in that room, and there were many of them who were weeping. But the one who was weeping the hardest was the minister. Mm. When I left that place, I knew that I had reached a place in my drinking that I'd become destructive. Yeah. I had become someone that I didn't trust, I didn't like, I couldn't stand. So I went home, and for the next four days, I was almost catatonic. I could hardly function mm. with that. I mean, I could barely function. I didn't leave the house. 
Uh-huh. And by Saturday night, I looked in the mirror and I didn't know who I was. I continued to drink. But uh-huh. I looked in the mirror. I said, God, help me. I'd been praying eloquent prayers uh-huh. to to feel better. But that night, I just said, God, help me. The next morning, I woke up my husband before I left for church, and I said, I need to get help with my drinking, and I need it before 2 o'clock this afternoon, because at this stage of my drinking, by 2 o'clock, I was preoccupied and hanging on by my fingernails to wait till 5 o'clock. Right. So uh, he had told me once that he had uh, a patient who was an alcoholic. And so I asked him if he would call, and she was doing very well. I said, would you please call her and ask her to meet us at your office this afternoon? Because I want to find out what I can do. Uh huh. So he did that. And we, I spoke to her and her husband. They were both recovering alcoholics. Mm. And I said, she said, let me ask you a few questions. And after about three or four questions, she smiled and she said, I don't need to ask you anymore, honey. She said, you're a member of our club. Okay. And uh, she had been in recovery for 10 years. Mm. She said, and I really think that the best thing for you to do is to go into rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, I think you need to get out of this environment, of whatever, your drinking environment, to where for the next 30 days or so, you are, your system is getting cleansed, uh-huh. and you're also receiving help on how to deal with life. Yes. So you went to treatment. Yes. You stayed for the entire time? I stayed, I was there for 35 days. So where did you go for treatment? I went to Hazelden in Minnesota. Okay. And I started volunteering at Hazelden. After my 35 days in treatment, uh-huh. I went back as a volunteer. Uh-huh. And over the next two years, I had 10,000 hours of volunteerism at that place. Wow. Plus, I had started training. I'd gone into their counselor training program, which was intensive. Uh-huh. Intensive. We lived on the on the premises. And okay. when you say we, was that your, your husband and you and no, kids? No, or? no. My husband and kids were, they were finally accepting the fact that I was a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Bloom, who returns this episode in just a moment. If you are enjoying this podcast and would like to learn more, we invite you to go to our website, descant-mmg.weebly.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget LinkedIn. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Episodes are also available on Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube. If you want to book Celia for concerts and or conferences, contact us to learn how. Thank you.
So I'm here with Marion Johansson, and we're going to continue her story today. So welcome back, Marion. Thank you. Um, so you were saying that um, you went to treatment at Hazelden in Minnesota for alcoholism and stayed around and volunteered 10,000 hours mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then you um, started the counseling program. Now, what happened then? Hazelden hired me, oh. and I became a member of their staff, their counseling staff. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing that I want to be sure to say is that all of the people who went through that training program for many years were recovering people uh-huh. because other people didn't know how or didn't want to work with alcoholics. Okay. So it was when somebody came into treatment, we pretty much knew everything they were going through. Mm-hmm. We could identify with what they were going through, and I think that is what made the huge difference in the fact that Hazelden had such good recovery rates. Yes. After that, uh, I was on the staff there for a year. I had been divorced, uh-huh. and I met a man from Iceland who came there for training. And at the end of his after. This training lasts for 55 weeks, a year and three weeks. And okay. it's, it is, I can't tell you how intense it is. Mm-hmm. I met this man, and when he completed, I was on the staff. I was his supervisor. Mm-hmm. When he had completed his year of training, we married, and we went to Iceland to live, which is where he was from. Okay. So you met him, you got married, and... You guys together then continued working. So did you stay at Hazelden or did you go somewhere else? No. We went to Iceland and I had private practice out of our home. Okay. Um, And I could have worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Uh because the problem with alcohol in Iceland was so severe. There were more AA meetings there. Then you can, I, I didn't, I couldn't even count how many. There was only one English speaking meeting. Oh, wow. And that was on Friday nights. And, you know, I was always at that meeting. The people in Iceland are very stoic. Yes. The Icelanders have the same kind of problem with alcohol that American Indians do. Okay. That Eskimos do. Okay. And some Scandinavians. Mm hmm. Uh, when Iceland was settled, Vikings came from Norway, stopped in, in Ireland and picked up some wives and uh-huh. ended up in Iceland. Okay. Iceland has very little snow. Uh-huh. Uh, and it has, it has two glaciers where that, that are, of course, covered with snow. But generally speaking, it, the terrain is very stark. Mm-hmm. It's, hilly, very few trees because the gale force winds blow and uh, stunt the growth. And also, from half the year is dark and half the year is light. Right. So did that um, impact your moods, the the darkness and light? Or did it just all kind of combine to make you 
want to come leave and come back to the States? No, actually, I adjusted after six months. I had pretty well learned how to get along, uh-huh. and I had made friends. Icelanders are very stiff and and foreboding, forbidding, until they get to know you. They're, they they sniff you all around, and then one day you look up, and they're very they're your friend. Okay. So I had made some good friends by that time, primarily people in AA uh-huh. and my clients. Okay. I have always, and this is something that's so different from mental health counseling in general. In mental health counseling, the counselor is not supposed to share anything about their own life. Right. And in, in our work, we are very willing to be transparent because that is what is helpful. Right. To the people that we're trying to serve. Because you can share your experience, strength, and hope. But you never do it unless it's relevant to their situation. Right. In other words, if somebody has said they've lost a child, I wouldn't say, I know how you feel because I don't don't know how that feels. Right. So it has to be relevant to them. But anyway, so the day came where the inflation there was so bad. Uh-huh. That we realized that we had to leave. Okay. Uh, you know, we one day a loaf of bread would cost what would be our equivalent of two dollars. The next day it would be ten. Oh wow! Um, it was it was crazy. Okay. So the economy really went wild, and you needed to get to somewhere where you could afford the cost of living. Yes, we did. Okay. So. We had conti- I had continued to escort patients from Iceland. Iceland had been sending people. That's how my husband, Stefan, realized that Hazeland was there. He had been taking patients from Iceland there. That's how he found out about it. That's why he went through training there. Uh-huh. And when we moved to Iceland, then I was the one who became the person to take them to Hazeland. Okay. And... So when it came time for us to leave, we went to Florida to visit my daughter, Betsy, who was there. And we found out that there was nobody in the town of Orlando who'd had any training in alcohol and drug problems. Oh, wow. So that was either AA or psychiatry. Uh And a lot of people need more than just AA. Yes. So we ended up working at a treatment center for almost a year. And after that, we opened our own clinic okay. um, in, a, in a rented building. Mm-hmm. That grew so fast. We became, we became so busy. We had to, we bought a building, mm-hmm. a 4,500 square foot building. Wow. And we hired other therapists to come and work with us. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We were the drug and alcohol counselors. We had others there who were uh, into food addiction and uh, sex addiction, and you know all of the the whole gamut. The whole gamut. Okay. And we had a multi-purpose team because we had a psychiatrist who came to us once a week. We had a minister who came to hear fifth steps. Uh-huh. Uh We had a psychologist who did a lot of our our testing, psychological testing. Right. 
And anyway, after over 20 years, uh-huh. well, after 16 years, Stefan said, I need to go back to Iceland. And we had worked so hard and paid ourselves so little uh, because this was really a ministry to us. This was right. not just to make money. This was your calling. This was our calling. Mm-hmm. And he, when he said he was going back to Iceland, by that time, my children had all married and had children. So I had grandchildren here. Uh-huh. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And he said, well, I've got to do it. So he left. And I, it was close to a million dollars in debt oh, that goodness. he left me. We had, he had started uh, running a bookstore within our building. Uh-huh. And he had spent money for catalogs and things I didn't know about. Okay. This is not to criticize him. He, he was trying his best. Right. But uh, financially, he was, he really was not doing. He wasn't well. savvy. No, he wasn't savvy. Okay. So, one of my clients, who had come to me for many years, had an MBA from Harvard and was an engineer, graduated from MIT. Mm-hmm. Off, and he was he had retired and was helping other companies who were in financial straits. Okay. He came and looked at the books. Uh-huh. This was just prior to Stefan's leaving because I didn't know how I was going to manage. And he said, I don't know if we can save this or not. Mm-hmm. But we did save it. But I worked six days and seven, no, seven days and six nights a week. Oh, honey. Um, almost injuring, I mean, really harming myself yes but we did turn it around and when i found out i had to have a hip replacement uh we decided i decided to retire at the age of 67 okay so tell me now because this is in search of peace and healing so how did you get through i mean you don't i know you you don't believe in divorce and yet you ended up having two how did you get through these things, and, and how have you found peace and healing? What are the things you do to help grow your peace and uh, your core of peace and promote your healing? The first thing I did when Stefan said he was leaving, and, I, and actually I knew it was going to happen, I prayed. Okay. Uh, I, I'm a a constant prayer anyway, but I prayed specifically that I not be bitter okay. or that or that I not hold resentments because as recovering people, we, we really can't afford to do that. No. And my prayer was answered. Uh, mm-hmm. I still, I, I don't feel any anger toward him um, because many there were many good things that came out of that, but that's the main way I did was by prayer. Uh-huh. Also, I had so many faithful clients and friends mm. that they just rallied around me, which which gave me further 
strength and hope. So that were your support network gathered around and came to your your aid. Yes. Okay. I have believed in God since I was a little child. Okay. My grandmother told me, the grandmother for whom I'm named, and I love her dearly, she said, Marion, God never sleeps. Mm. I have claimed you for him. Wow. And I want you to know you can talk to him anytime, day or night. I bought that as a five-year-old completely, and I have never doubted it during the hard times. I've always realized that the only thing that we're really promised is that he's going to be with us. Yes. Not that he's going to make things perfect. Right. Or easy. Or easy. And so the I think what, what finally has brought it all together was when Stefan left, I felt this extreme pain. I, that's when I quit working the program and started living the program. Mm. Um, and every day, to me, recovery, real recovery, is living in the 24 hours we have. Yes. That's, I really don't worry about yesterday. I truly am not concerned about tomorrow. When I get up in the morning, I am the first thing I do is just say a prayer of thanks for the day. Uh huh. And it sets the tone. Wow, that's wonderful. And how inspiring. First of all, I could just, you are wildly inspiring to me because you're not afraid. And I, I want to be that spiritually well developed. Um, I want to grow into that because that that's just wildly encouraging to find somebody that's not afraid to me. So if it's possible for you, it's possible for me. It certainly is. Thank you, Marion, so much for coming and talking with me today. Um, I love you very much. And um, maybe maybe could we get you back on another time? Absolutely. Thank you okay. so much. Oh, I love you too. And now, may each of you be blessed with more peace of mind and joy of heart than you could even imagine. You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone, a production of the Descant Music and Media Group. Providers of music and media production as well as business services for small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Visit our website at www.descant-mmg.weebly.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Episodes are also available on Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you want to book Celia for concerts and or conferences, contact us to learn how. Thank you.